Last week, we celebrated the baptism of Jesus and heard the story told from Matthew's gospel. This week, we switch to John. The weekly lectionary is the three-year cycle of Bible readings that we use in church. Episcopalians share the weekly lectionary with several other major denominations, including Roman Catholics, Lutherans, Methodists, and any other Christians who want to use it to organize their shared learning of the Bible. The lectionary rotates around the four Gospels, the four different biographical accounts of the life of Jesus. We are currently in year A, which is Matthew's year. Year B is for Mark, and year C is for Luke. What about John? Well, we use portions of John's Gospel at various times throughout all three years to flesh them out. This is one of those John spotlighting weeks. John does not tell the story of Jesus' baptism per se. John the Baptist, not to be confused with John the Gospel writer, sees Jesus coming and casually mentions, oh yeah, here's the guy I told you was coming. I'd never met the guy before. But when I baptized him, the Holy Spirit descended and remained on him. So he's the Messiah, the chosen one, the one God has sent to save the world. Wait, John had never seen Jesus before? Did you think John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin? We just asserted that during the season of Advent. But that story only appears in Luke's gospel, nowhere else. Sometimes the gospel writer's accounts diverge significantly, and those differences can teach us which details may be less important or which may be more symbolism than history. Maybe John was literally Jesus' cousin, and Luke was the only one of the four gospel writers who knew that part. I don't know. But the point of all four gospels is bigger. It is to proclaim the coming of the Messiah. Notice how John refers to Jesus. Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccata mundi, one of the main prayers of the Latin Mass. Why is Jesus described as a lamb? Well, what other lambs appear in Scripture? John wants his hearers to remember the story of the Exodus when the Hebrews slaughtered a lamb at twilight and smeared its blood on the doorposts of their homes to ward off the angel of death. So when John says to faithful Jews, this is the Lamb of God, their brains light up with associations and they are intrigued. What on earth can John mean by that? Who said the Messiah would be anything like a slaughtered lamb? I recommend yet another way of looking at John's gospel. As you hear it and as you read it, imagine yourself as a new convert to Christianity around the year 100. This gospel was written specifically for the purpose of welcoming people into a life of faith in Jesus Christ. And while the other gospels appear to take place over the course of one year, John's gospel features three occurrences of the Passover. Could it be that John's gospel is an encapsulation of some sort of three-year curriculum, like the lectionary? 
We do know that in many places in the early church, converts prepared for baptism for three whole years. If this is a catechism of sorts, it's a poetic and narrative one. At any rate, John tells us himself toward the end of his gospel, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing, you may have life in his name. In other words, come and see. John the Baptist has prepared many people for a renewed life by baptizing them, symbolically washing away their sins. Now, some of these folks begin to peel away from John and follow Jesus instead. What are you looking for? Jesus asks them. Well, it seems that they want to learn from this new teacher, but they don't tell him what they're looking for. They probably don't fully know themselves. Where are you staying? They ask. The response from Jesus, come and see. But let's talk about the phrase, where are you staying? A moment ago, John described the Holy Spirit descending from heaven like a dove and remaining on Jesus. In the next paragraph, it's the same word again. Where are you remaining tonight, Jesus? Come and see. In English, we don't ask people where they are remaining for the night, but they did in ancient Greek. The dove remains on Jesus, and Jesus remains at someone's house. John is also very clear that it's four o'clock in the afternoon when all this happens. Why give us this detail? Because evening is coming soon. Where is everyone staying tonight? Jesus is accepting the hospitality of whoever is willing to offer it. They welcome Jesus in, and he remains. Come and see, Jesus says, inviting these two of John's disciples to continue following him. When they get to the place where Jesus is remaining, we hear, they remained with him that day. There's that word again, several times in a brief span. The connection may seem trivial, but the Greek word for remain will show up again and again throughout John's gospel. In the King James Version, it was usually translated as abide. And that may put you in mind of an old Anglican hymn. Abide with me, fast falls the eventide. Evening is coming. Where are you abiding tonight? Can we abide with you, Jesus? Will you abide with us? It's so much deeper than just a blow-by-blow -blow description of what happened that day. It's steeped in symbolism. Do you see what's happening? Word associations are lighting up portions of our brains. The disciples got to follow Jesus physically, but you still get to step into the story yourself. The more you have absorbed the Bible, the more easily this can happen. The Lamb of God isn't an original phrase of John's, but a throwback to thousands of years to the Hebrews' enslavement in Egypt The emphasis on remaining, though, that's all John. And he wants you to hear that word again and again. Remaining is important, whether it's us remaining with Jesus or Jesus remaining with us. But none of that can happen if we don't first, like these disciples, come 
and see. The gospel writer John knew well what I want to repeat today. The only way to understand Christianity is to come and see and then to practice remaining. Mere book knowledge doesn't begin to approach the purpose of our faith. Last Wednesday night, we began the weekly meetings of our faith renewal group called The Way. And I was the first to share with the group my spiritual autobiography, the story of my life seen through the lens of Christian faith. I told the group about a few specific years when I was young, newly married, and happily employed during an economic boom. In those years, I said, my faith was coasting. It was mostly an intellectual exercise. I wasn't so much following Jesus as remaining in a place where I'd been planted by my parents. That would change. And I would come to recognize God's hand in the crises that led me to grow, that led me not to remain stuck, but to get moving in new ways and to ask Jesus to remain with me wherever my life took me next. The best way that Christians can say to others, come and see, is to tell the stories of our lives. Not just the autobiographical details, but the deeper currents in which we suspect that God has been attending to us personally. Another way to say, come and see, is to say, let's compare stories. I'll listen to yours and you listen to mine. We Christians believe that Jesus is involved in this process wherever it happens. The church is the place where all of our individual stories come together into a unified come and see. Many of us gathered here have taken the initiative to follow Jesus. We got curious. We answered the call. We ventured out from what we had known before. We did not remain in one place. We sought something deeper. Perhaps we even invited Jesus to remain with us. That probably doesn't describe everyone here, though. Maybe you were born into Christianity, as I was myself, and you don't feel you've yet had a personal experience of Jesus. Maybe it's been mostly book knowledge, and you're coasting. That can be true of people of any age, by the way. And it doesn't say anything specific about you. Your life is your own. Its contours are being written not only by you, but also by everything happening around you. You don't get to control everything, and neither do I. Nevertheless, life doesn't last forever. Continuing to coast can become unsatisfying and may hold you back from others. At some point, four o'clock will roll around, and it will be decision time. Where are you staying tonight? Where will you find dinner Or are you moving on to somewhere else? Why don't you stick around here and let us feed you and give you a place to remain? Why don't you come and see? And then why not remain? And even if you find you can't remain here, why not ask Jesus to remain with you wherever you go?